the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Colossians. In the words of the disciples, when they asked Jesus in, in Luke 11, 1, teach us to pray, is this first point, that prayer is a discipline. It will not come naturally or conveniently to us. If, if it came naturally or conveniently, they wouldn't have said, teach us. They understood that their prayer life was not what it should be, and they often saw Jesus model prayer And because of his example, they just said to him, teach us to pray. We don't know how to do this. You sometimes feel insecure when it comes to prayer. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he shares with you that prayer is a discipline. It's like a muscle that you have to strengthen to develop and have proper growth. The disciples themselves knew this. They would see Jesus model prayer, which is why they asked him to teach them to pray. Pastor Gary encourages you that it doesn't come naturally. You must pray as a spiritual discipline within your walk with Christ. He will help you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Colossians chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Colossians chapter 4, as we take a look at this last chapter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. So we started this book a few weeks ago, and now we're bringing this book to a conclusion here, the book of Colossians. Colossae was a city in what is modern Turkey. Paul wrote this letter around A.D. 60 to A.D. 61 or 62. While he was imprisoned in Rome, you're going to see a reference to his imprisonment here as he closes out this letter. Just a reminder to us that he's writing to some people he's never met. The book of Colossians, this letter indicates to us as he writes this that he has never been to Colossae to plant this church. Many of the letters that Paul writes is a letter to encourage one of the churches that he personally was a part of planting. Colossians is not one of those. He did not plant the church at Colossae, but he is writing to these people, brothers and sisters whom he loves. He's heard about them by way of reputation. Their pastor, Epaphras, has come and visited Paul in prison. Epaphras does not go back to Colossae at the end of this letter. Paul is going to mention that he's delivering this letter through another guy by the name of Tychicus. And so what happens to Epaphras, the pastor, some speculate he actually got imprisoned too. And so that's why he didn't return with this letter in hand. And chapter 4, Paul brings these concluding remarks, his final words of instruction to this church at Colossae that has been dealing with a variety of things, primarily dealing with a combination of heresies. 
combination of Greek and Oriental and um, spiritual mysticism that now he is bringing to a close here with chapter 4. And what we'll notice here in the first few uh, verses of chapter 4 is that Paul's final instructions have to do with our communication with God. Uh, That's what we commonly call prayer. That's verses 2 to 4. And then he's going to also give instruction about our communication with others in verses 5 and 6, and that's what we commonly call witness, our witness, our testimony. So what I'd like to do is tackle this fourth chapter out of order. I want to come back to these first few verses and spend the majority of our time looking at verses 1 through 6, but if you'll notice in your Bibles, verse 7 through the end of the chapter deal with what is subtitled in my Bible, the final greetings. And what Paul is going to do here is he's going to give closing remarks to or about nine specific people by name. So what I'd like us to do is first look at this last section and just kind of cover the the final greetings as he mentions different people, and then we'll come back, we'll spend the majority of our time between uh, verses 1 through 6. So if you'll you'll jump straight ahead to verse 7, you'll see the first of nine people mentioned here, uh, Tychicus. And uh, he says about Tychicus that he will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and faithful servant in the Lord. So Tychicus is the one who hand-delivers this letter that Paul pens from prison in Rome. Tychicus is the one who delivers this to the church at Colossae. And so Paul commends him to the church, saying that he's a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. He says in verse 8, I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus. Now, here's another person that Paul mentions. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Now, you might notice that Onesimus is a familiar name to some of you who also know your Bibles because Onesimus is mentioned in the book of Philemon. And what we come to find, this is the same Onesimus. What we come to find out when we get to Philemon is that Onesimus is a slave, Now, during the first century Roman Empire, there were an estimated three, some say as many as six million slaves during the first century of the Roman Empire. Onesimus is one of them. And Onesimus runs away from his master and finds Paul. We don't know how he finds him. We don't even know how he learned about him. But he makes his way to Paul in prison there in Rome. And in the course of Onesimus, at some point, visiting and encountering with Paul, Onesimus gets saved. Paul will write the church, uh, will rather write the letter uh, to Philemon instructing him to take back Onesimus. That's this same guy. What I love about this, and I only mention all that background so you can appreciate how Paul refers to Onesimus there. Notice again in verse 9, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. He does not refer to him as a slave, though he is one. Paul refers to him as he's a faithful and dear brother who is one of you. And I made mention last week that in chapter 3, at the close of chapter 3, one of Paul's instructions to uh, the people of his day was in regards to the conduct of slaves in relation to their masters. In fact, chapter 4 here begins with an exhortation to masters. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. 
talking about the Lord. And as I mentioned last week, and I'll just point out again today, sometimes you can read your Bibles and you can see mentions of slavery and masters and why is Paul giving instruction here to slaves in terms of their conduct? Shouldn't he be outraged that there even is slavery? And shouldn't the Bible be more specifically, intentionally, directly addressing the inhumanity of slavery? And here's here's instead the approach that the New Testament primarily takes in regards to slavery. It is an issue that is incompatible with Christianity, for sure. In fact, earlier in chapter 3, he talks about how in verse 11, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul will write similar language in Galatians chapter 3. He talks about there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, for we are all one in Christ. And the way that they addressed it in the New Testament times was, if we can elevate every person and recognizing that every person, regardless of what circumstance they find themselves in, is equal in the eyes of God, valuable in the eyes of God, and important in the eyes of God, we can dismantle something like slavery. That's actually what happened. When you look historically at slavery, and even in America's own history and Great Britain's own history, what started in Great Britain and eventually moved over to America was initiated because Christians rose up and realized and began to apply what Scripture teaches in terms of the equality of all human beings, no matter of race, creed, color, nationality, ethnicity. And when you begin to preach an elevated message that all are equal in the eyes of of God, and people begin to realize that, recognize it, and accept it, it dismantles, you see, it dismantles the whole structure of slavery. And so that's what happened, and that's what Paul, basically what Paul's doing is saying, listen, If this is the circumstance you find yourself in, here's how you can make the best of it. But don't misread this to think that it's actually condoning slavery. He renounces it and speaks out against it, but gives advice in the context of the time saying, listen, if this is the situation and you're a part of this, you know, what the Roman government has legalized and and you're a part of either end of it. You need to recognize that you are serving as unto the Lord or you are leading as if you are pleasing your master in heaven, but eventually it's Christianity that dismantled the inhumanity of slavery because God elevates every human being as equal in the eyes of God, that Jesus died for all, and that there is no one nation, race, people, ethnicity greater than or less than another. We are all equal and equally loved in the eyes of God. And so Paul addresses Onesimus here as a faithful and dear brother who is one of you, he says to the people of Colossae, and they will tell you everything that is happening here. In verse 10, he says, my fellow prisoner uh, Aristarchus, he mentions Aristarchus, Uh, Aristarchus is mentioned three times in the book of Acts. We find out in the book of Acts that Aristarchus is one of uh, Paul's traveling companions on his third missionary journey. So he, he commends my fellow prisoner Aristarchus, so Obviously, that means Aristarchus is in prison with Paul. He sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, if you have a King James, it'll it'll say the the niece. It speaks of Barnabas as, or Mark, rather, as the son of Barnabas' sister. So, some translations say that he is the nephew. Did I say niece? That he's the nephew, uh, and others uh, say that he is the cousin. You know, it, it doesn't corrupt the gospel. Don't get hung up on it. People are like, well, is he, this is an error in the Bible. 
So is, is he the nephew or is, is he the cousin? It's not going to be a salvation issue, friends. Move on. But this is the same Mark. This is the, um, this is the same Mark as the one who was used by the Lord to pen the gospel of Mark. This is John Mark. Now, now Mark was not one of Jesus' disciples. He was too young. He is mentioned by inference in the gospels uh, as being around 12 years of age. Uh, and, and yet he's later someone that the Lord uses to write some history with regard to the gospel of Mark. Now, Paul ends up having a disagreement with Barnabas about Mark, because John Mark at times shows that he's timid and shows that he is at times scared, which, you know, look, cut the guy some grace. A first century Roman Empire, you go around saying you're a Christian. It's not like today. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen to you? Your boss comes to you and says, hey, don't be talking about your Christianity and get your Bible off your desk. Oh, big deal. If you live in the first century, here's what could happen to you. Off with your head. That's what could happen to you. So John Mark actually realizes, like, I could die for this. I could die for being a Christian. Gets a little timid. And Paul says, you're, you're a mamsie. I want nothing to do with... That's the message translation. You're a mamsie, and I want nothing to do with you. And so he says to Barnabas, get rid of your nephew or cousin or whatever you want to call him, because he's a hindrance to the gospel. Barnabas ends up separating from Paul and goes off and does his own missionary journey. But... This is now 12 years later, and Paul has softened in regards to his view of Mark. And in fact, in another five years, when Paul writes 2 Timothy, he's, he's actually going to commend, he's going to say that Mark is, uh, my, is helpful in my ministry. So there's a reconciliation there. But this is that same John Mark. Uh, he's, he adds there in verse 10, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Verse 11 Jesus, who is called justice, also sends greetings. Now, please be aware that, you know, that Jesus is a Greek transliteration of a Hebrew name, right? Yahashua, Yeshua is, is the name that Jesus was called in Hebrew. But Jesus was a common name. And so, you know, as Paul mentions Jesus here, this is not, a, of course, the Jesus of the Gospels. This is a Jesus who's also known as justice. I think Paul throws that in there just so that, you know, we're sure to know. I mean, this is 62 AD. Jesus ascended back into heaven around 33 AD. So this is certainly not the same one, but it's a popular name. I was having conversation. I do some chaplaincy work with the sheriff's department. I was having a conversation with the deputy just last week. And he said, he said, just a very weird encounter happened where he had to arrest someone on Christmas Eve. He was Hispanic and his name was Jesus, but it was spelled like Jesus. And he said, I had to fill out my report saying that I arrested Jesus on Christmas Eve. <laughs> said it just it sounded wrong all the way around it's just a common name but this is that he mentions jesus here called justice sends his greetings these are the only jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of god and they have proved a comfort to me epaphras who is one of you and this is a reference to that that pastor who is one of you and a servant of christ jesus sends greetings he is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of god mature and fully assured I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor. Now, this is the same Luke who was, we have a gospel named after him, the gospel of Luke. Luke was also the one who was inspired by the Lord to write the book of Acts. That's this same guy. And Paul's the one who lets us know that he's, that he's a doctor. He's, he's a physician. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, who was also a traveling companion of Paul's, by the way, and Damas, 
send greetings. Now, Circle Damus is named there because we read of him again in Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy, just before Paul is uh, beheaded for his faith, before he's martyred for his faith. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, there's a very sad commentary about Damus. Paul writes that Damus has deserted us because he loved the world. That's the same guy. And so Damus is mentioned here as part of Paul's friends and fellow laborers of the gospel. But by the time you get to 2 Timothy, about five years later, this guy is not only not a companion of Paul's, but Paul says that he has even deserted the Lord and he's following the world. So a sad commentary on him. In verse 15, he says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, some of your translations say, and to the church in his house. There's, there's a little discrepancy here over, over Nympha's name, too, and whether, you know, it's kind of like there are certain names that can go in, in you know, either masculine or, or feminine, you know, like the name Pat. Uh, can be a, a man's name or a woman's name. And so some translations have translated it as her, some say his. Again, it's not a salvation issue, friends. Don't trip up over it. But I, I pointed out, because as I'm reading it, some of you might have a, a, a new King James or King James. You're like, wait, I thought it says his house. If you have ESV or NIV, like I'm reading, friends, it says her house. Okay, so let's move on from Nympha. After this letter has been read to you, See that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Now that could either be a reference to an unknown letter, because we don't have a letter to the Laodiceans in our Bibles, or some Bible scholars believe that he's referring to the letter that he sent to the church at Ephesus, that it actually could be the church of Ephesus, Ephesians, that Paul wrote. It was very typical in that day that if, if Paul wrote a letter to a particular church, that neighboring churches, Laodicea, Hierapolis, Colossae, those were all located in the same region of, of the province of Asia Minor or Turkey on a map today. And it's possible that they're just passing these letters around and that that's what he's referring to. Otherwise, we don't have a letter in our Bibles to the Laodiceans. And then in verse 17, he says, tell Archippus, See to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Some scholars believe that Archippus may have been the pastor of the church at Laodicea, and Paul is exhorting him, like, just hang in there, complete the work that you have received in the Lord. And then Paul says in the last verse, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, remember my chains, and grace be with you. So that's that reference, his chains, to the fact that he's imprisoned in Rome. In the time we have left, I want us to go back up to the beginning of chapter 4 and uh, for us to take to heart some of Paul's closing instructions here as it relates to our communication with God, which we would call prayer, and our communication with one another, which we would call our witness. If you'll notice in verse 2, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, 
so that you may know how to answer everyone. So you see here that between verses 2, 3, and 4, he emphasizes prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. He even then says, while you're at it, in verse 3, pray for us too. And then he even gets specific in verse 4 how, how they can proclaim, not only that Paul would proclaim the mystery of Christ, but he says in verse 4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as, as I should. So there's this emphasis in the first part of chapter 4 on prayer. And what I wanted to do was just kind of uh, accumulate a few different verses in the Bible that speak about prayer as just some general reminders about the importance of prayer. Look, I'm not going to say anything new that hasn't already been written on this subject. There is more in, in Christian writings on the topic of prayer than any other topic among doctrine or Christian faith. There's more written on the topic of prayer. But as I've said before, there might be a lot written on the topic of prayer. But I don't think as many of us are praying as much as we should. A lot of information out there. And what I'm about to share with you probably won't be anything new. But just a reminder to us that we need to be, as Paul exhorts the church at Colossae, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to to prayer. So what I want to share first are three different verses, uh, actually four, but three main points that um, speak to me about prayer. I'm sure that there are many verses that speak to you about prayer, but I'm the one that has the pulpit, so you're going to hear mine. And you're, ha- you're, you're welcome to share yours with me later, but you're going to get the ones that, that come to me and the ones that have spoken to me over the years. And then I'm going to also give you five important truths about prayer as it relates to what God thinks of it when we pray. So the first ver- one of the first verses that comes to my mind is this. It's Luke 11, verse 1. And it is when Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And it is in that setting that Jesus teaches them what has commonly been referred to as the Lord's Prayer. I personally don't think that the Lord's Prayer was ever intended by the Lord to be recited as a rote prayer. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think many Christians have put the Lord's Prayer to memory. And I think it sounds beautiful and and it's, it's a wonderful prayer to pray. But I don't know that that was necessarily our Lord's original intent. I want you to go around reciting this prayer, reciting this prayer, reciting this prayer. Because how many of us understand that you can go around reciting something long enough and it loses its meaning? I think what Jesus intended in the Lord, what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, is a model. Here is a model of how to pray. You know, start out with praise, you move into the will of God, you talk about your basic needs, and then you ask for the kingdom of God to come and to be established. And that doesn't mean necessarily the millennial reign. I think it just means the rule and reign of Christ in your life as king. But it's a beautiful model, and you can, you can look at the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew 6, it's in Luke 11, and just kind of see a great outline for the elements to be included in prayer. What it says to me, though, in, in the words of the disciples when they asked Jesus in, in Luke eleven one, teach us to pray, is this first point, that prayer is a discipline. It will not come naturally or conveniently to us. If, if it came naturally or conveniently, they wouldn't have said teach us. They understood that their prayer life was not what it should be, 
And they often saw Jesus model prayer. And because of his example, they just said to him, teach us to pray. We don't know how to do this. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Here at Cornerstone Connection, we are committed to providing teaching that helps you become rooted and built up in Christ. Pastor Gary Hamrick is working through Colossians, and it is full of wisdom that will establish your heart in the faith. If you want to take this one step further, we have companion resources available for you. These digital study guides are for those who want to learn more about today's message. You can find these resources and so much more on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can subscribe to our podcast or download our mobile app. Hours of great teaching from God's Word in the palm of your hand. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, check out our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, to find our location and service time. If you have specific prayer requests, you can send them to us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. And remember that we are always giving thanks for you when we pray for you. We can't wait to connect with you again next time at Cornerstone Connection. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.